is the Inside Edge. Your home for Blue Jackets news and conversation. Sponsored by Honda Marysville and Moomoo Express Car Wash. Proud partner of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McGalligan and Jody Shelley. Welcome to the Inside Edge presented by Honda Marysville. Bob McElligot and Jody Shelley with you. The Blue Jackets have come through the trade deadline. They now know who they are personnel-wise for the rest of the year. And uh, they're now hitting the road for a six-game road trip. They're going to take on the Dallas Stars starting tomorrow night for two games. Then they will go play the Florida Panthers and finish up the road trip in Tampa against the defending Stanley Cup champions. Jody, uh, coming out of that trade deadline on Monday, the Blue Jackets have made all of their moves Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Riley Nash was traded to Toronto Friday. David Savard to Tampa on Saturday. Nick Foligno to uh, to uh, Toronto on Sunday. I almost got my days all mixed up for crying out loud. I only had three I'm of them. I'm impressed you got those three remembered and in order. Good job. Yeah, well, so am I. I was that close to not having that happen. But so those were the deals. Monday came. The only other guy that was really rumored maybe to be on the move was the veteran defenseman, Michael Delzato. He didn't go anywhere. He's still with the Blue Jackets. I think that's a good thing, especially with Wierenski out. He's playing on the top pair, and they need some stability back there. But all in all, as I said, they know who they are personnel-wise. Now for these next three weeks, they have to find out who they are culture-wise, don't they? Yeah, yeah, I, I would I would think so, Bob. I think that there's disappointment in this season. I think there's a changing of the guard, if you will, and – um, you know, the head coach is still here and we know what he brings. He brings, uh, he brings, uh, accountability and uh, non-negotiables in a few areas. Now there's been a few things we've seen this year where it seems like they've gotten away from their game and, and he's been extra patient with some players. He's understanding, he's very understanding the situation he's in and he's going to let these guys play a little bit, but there's some things he's got to make sure that don't creep into their game. And those are bad habits. So, yeah, you know, this, this, uh, the culture of this team is definitely uh, something that needs to be uh, – it needs to be brought back to where we expect it, I think, as far as when we watch them play on the ice. Um, and, and I think they're in good hands. They're going to do that. I mean, Jarmo Kekalainen is a great leader. Uh, he's the guy that understands hockey from many levels. And then John Tortorella is a, a no-nonsense coach who, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that's easy to work with, but he's also very realistic. So, uh, you know, there's a lot there. I mean, I, I would, I, I would, I would wish every hockey player could be coached by John Tortorella, especially in this situation now where, you know, if you're, if you're, if your antenna are up and you realize the situation you're in and you're understanding that Brad Shaw and Brad Larson, they're they're, they're smart people. They want to help. This is an important three weeks for a lot of these young young players' career. We're going to see different players in and out of the lineup, different players with different workloads. And I look back at the last game and I see Texier. Uh, he seems to be re, re, uh, revived. Uh, he's come to life on every shift. And if he can be that as a full-time NHL, or think about the opportunity, Bob. You know, this is a young kid with an organization. He comes in and plays in the playoffs, uh, gets his experience through just – playing the game, uh, finds himself in the healthy scratch this department this year, but also now has a chance to play top center minutes with top NHL stars. And he might actually work his way through it. And if he does, it'll be a great thing for the organization. But how about for him? Because think of all the NHL players who have played in this league who have never had this kind of opportunity. It's one thing to play top minutes with players who should be on the third or fourth line that, that are playing up at this point of the season, at this point of the of this juncture of a year, 
but that's not his case. He's, he's getting a real, uh, an opportunity that people would dream about. So he, he jumps out to mind, but also Greg Renko, you know, here's a player that's getting this kind of opportunity. Roslovic is a player now playing at the center ice position full time that is getting this chance. So this is not just a whole home chance. This is a legitimate NHL chance to, to show uh, that you can play in this spot. Now I also say that, but when the pressure's off, life's a lot different. So, uh, you know, you got to take that into account. That's a very good point. You do have to take that into account. And we're going to have Yarmo Kekalainen join us here uh, in just a few minutes and, and break down a lot of this stuff uh, and talk about these scenarios and these situations and these players. But, yeah, the opportunity is – it is fantastic, as you said. And, you know, Texier, as you were describing how he played on Monday night and how he played early in the year – yeah, he was great. And I'm a little bit surprised that he took such a dip in the middle this year because we've talked many times before. He walks that line of confidence and cockiness very, very well. And I just thought with that attitude, I didn't expect him to dip to the depths that he got to at some points this year. Do you agree with that? I, I, I You know what's amazing is that our standard has, has been really lifted. And I think that he's a 21-year-old kid that – uh, might have got tired. I don't know the factors of this season. When you look at his schedule and the demands and the lack of social uh, time, uh, the lack of interaction with your teammates, it's got to be factored in. And when I see this kid, I feel like he's been here for six years and he's just starting his NHL career. So there's a lot for him to learn still. But I agree, when you see him play the way he did last game, you think, why didn't you do that every game? Well, there's some kind of reason. There's something going on. I mean, otherwise, he would, right? You get the puck and you attack Patrick Kane. He get, Patrick Kane's getting frustrated with him just because he has hard strides and, and he has a recklessness about him that just kind of says, get out of my way. And when he plays that way with his skill, man, he jumps off the ice every shift in the National Hockey League. So I guess in the moment, yeah, Bob, I'm with you. I was surprised. But when I look back and assess it, I'm like, Wow, you know, this is we we expect a lot. We should, um, but maybe there's something that was off with him. I think. Yeah, it was off, but it seems to be back on now. The key for him, as you just said, keep it on for the remainder of the year because a lot of eyes are going to be watching. Keep and on keeping on. That's right. And a couple of those eyes that are going to be watching are those of the general manager Yarmo Kekalina. We're going to talk to him next. Get him to uh, talk about the trade deadline, the difficult decisions he had to make, how he made them, how he got a couple of first-round picks, and maybe even allude to who the next captain of the Blue Jackets may be. Perhaps we'll find out next as the Inside Edge presented by Honda Marysville continues on 97.1 The Fan. CBJ Homage Ticket Packs are now available, and every pack includes a game ticket and a limited edition Fire the Cannon shirt. Quantities are limited, so just text the keyword BOOM, B-O-O-M, to 26791 to purchase, or go to bluejackets.com homage. Bob McElligot and Jody Shelley back here with you on the Inside Edge, presented by Honda Marysville. Right now, we're joined by the general manager of the Blue Jackets, Yarmo Kekalainen. Well, Yarmo, I know that the, the past week or so has been tough for you. You had to make tough decisions, and uh, you always say it's about improving your team, whatever it takes. And uh, is it harder, though, when making a team better in the future means that you have to 
uh, give up or separate yourself from guys that have been such a big part of what this organization has become and how this team plays? Absolutely. It's emotional too. It's uh, get attached to the guys that, that uh, took you through the battles and, and successes and, and, and the good years that we've had. Well, we need to keep getting better. And we felt that at this time, it was the right time to reload and, and get some of those assets back and more than what we spent when we went for a couple of years ago. So um, the timing was right. We're on the outside looking in right now, but we feel that we have a lot of pieces in place that can get this turned around quickly. So that's why we uh, made those decisions. I know you didn't expect to be in this spot. Uh, everybody goes into the season expecting to make the playoffs and continuing the run that you were on. But, you know, what you just said, and you said this on trade deadline day too, uh, you go back to two years ago, you put out a lot of assets in order to acquire guys to give you a chance to make a run. And being able to get those back, how important do you see that being for the next step that you want to take? It's it's important. It's hard to sit through a draft when you don't have a first round pick, and and you're looking at the guy that you you may have got there if you did have it, and, and uh, you know we only had a couple of picks last last tra draft, and um, so it, it, it's hard when when you have to have to do that to your scouts in particular who work all year and. And uh, they're on the road and they're watching all those games and then they don't have the picks to show what they what they've accomplished. But um, now they do. They, we have nine picks this this upcoming draft and we have three first round picks. So they've done a great job for us uh, over the years. And now now they're going to get an opportunity to to uh, make a big difference for us and uh, our future. When you look around at uh, all the pundits and how they have graded the trade deadline day, you know, they always talk winners and losers. And usually the winners are the teams that added players that are going to help them uh, in the playoffs and give them a chance to win the Stanley cup. But everybody, as you looked around all the different outlets, you were considered a winner on this trade deadline because you were able to get a couple of first round picks for players that were in high demand. Um, did you, did you find it tough to get those first round picks? Did you have to do a lot of bargaining to be able to, uh, to pry those picks out of the teams that you did? Well, it looked like our two guys were well appreciated outside of our organization and they should be in what they've done in their career. David Savard, uh, it's been a backbone of our defense blocking hundreds of shots and, and uh, being hard to play against that heavy right-handed defenseman everybody's looking for. So, you know, they, they made, made my job easy because uh, there are a lot of teams uh, asking about him, uh, both him and Nick Foligno. Nick Foligno plays the game the right way, the type of player that can bring you success in the playoffs, and, and he's a leader and, and, a, and a great teammate. So there was a lot of, uh, lot of teams after those two players, so I think that makes, makes my job a lot easier. When you have several teams competing for their services, the price is going to go up and puts, puts us in a good position to, uh, to bargain. Guillermo, you talked about your scouts on the draft floor not having picks, but isn't that the sign of an organization that's in a good spot at that moment? Yeah, but it's a fine line. You want to go for it, and but you don't want to sell your all of your future. And I said it when we uh, when we had the uh, opportunity to acquire uh, Duchesne from Ottawa that you know it was the market price we had to give up the first first pick but you know, we gave up two prospects that we felt that we had 
deep enough prospect pool at the time that we could afford it. And, and uh, you know, those guys are pretty much all on our team right now. And we still have our top guys here in, in our organization. We didn't have to give up on any, any of our top prospects. So, you know, we paid a price in, in, in draft picks. We spent two seconds that year, too, in, in uh, the Zingle. And, and it, it leaves a dent. There's no question about it. But but at the same time, when you feel that you have a good chance to go for it, you got to go for it. you got to pay the market price. And that's what you saw with the teams uh, this deadline, too. They paid a first round and a third round for for David Savard and first and fourth for Nick Foligno because they didn't want to pass on the opportunity they feel that they have a good chance to win the cup and, and, and I would agree with them. So you know, we'll see what the future brings and, and hopefully uh, those guys, guys get an opportunity to compete for the cup. And we certainly want to be in that situation again. And now we have some ammunition, not only this year, but the year after too, where we can, we can, again, if we feel that we have a good chance to go for it, we can, we can do the opposite. When I look back at last year's deadline, um, you had a team that overachieved to that point. This is before the pandemic. And you kept your first round pick. Was that just the uncertainty of what you had in your, in your, with your team? Or were you more, more determined to keep that pick last year? Yeah, you, like I said, you can't, can't keep selling your first round pick year after year. And, Otherwise, it leaves too much of a dent in your prospect pool. So we were kind of hovering around that playoff um, line there last year. Got in uh, through the qualifying round by beating Toronto. And, uh, you know, we went through a lot a lot of stuff last year with injuries and, and uh, were able to stay in, the, stay in the hunt, which was great. You know, we, yeah. we uh, tested a lot of our depth and our goaltenders were great and, and kept, us, kept us in the race. But, uh, you know, we also had to uh, do a little bit of reloading there, too, after uh, Panarin, in particular, when he left. He's one of your top players, and, and you lose a guy like that who's, who's considered into the, uh, the group of guys that can win the hard trophy. And you know you're going to lose a huge piece of your, your puzzle when a guy like that goes. And that's why we tried to keep him at any price. We offered him a huge contract to stay here, but he had his mindset that he'd go into uh, – New York, and there's nothing that could have changed that. But but we we did everything we could to keep him here, and, and uh, I wish him nothing but the best now, except when they're in the same division with us again next year. Well, that that's one thing I like about your style, Yarmo. Is you're very uh, the Blue Jackets at that point needed a game breaker, and somehow you got Panarin. I'm still amazed that you got him. I know we were. I think I look at that. We were lucky to have him. Um, so you're not afraid to make a trade for those, for those, uh, players. And I, and I think you're so realistic with what you have. How do you get back? What do you need to do to get back to where you, where we, you were at that point? Is, I mean, there seems like there's a lot, we're always the youngest team in the league. Um, now we're back to draft picks, but I think this off season, I, I, I just heard from your comments that there's encouragement with this expansion draft and players available that can change organizations and, and, and really make an impact in maybe your top six or even your middle six. Is that right? Yeah. There's going to be only so many people that every team can, that can protect and, and there's going to be some opportunities and having those three first round picks, we could maybe, maybe uh, convince somebody to make a trade with us that will give us some immediate impact. But not not only we're not we're not trading our first round picks for a thirty year old guy that 
give us immediate impact for year or two or, or three. But, you know, there could be a young player uh, available that, that um, is hard to protect with, with the rest of the group with that team and that could become available or, or, or teams with the challenge with the flat salary cap. So those, those could be the type of trades that we could do this offseason to strengthen our group right now or going into the immediate future, but also into the next five, five to 10 years or whatever it may be and, and uh, reload, like we call it a little bit quicker than, than just using the picks and, and uh, waiting for them to uh, materialize. But we also have to keep growing from within. That's, that's the biggest step that we have to take. We talk about it all the time. And, you know, I look at a guy like Alexander Texier this year, he had a great start and then he kind of, sunk with the rest of the group with the inconsistencies for the for the for a little while and now lately he's been playing great which is really encouraging to me to see a young guy playing center now full-time first first year in, in the nhl taking such huge steps and you know jack roslovic guys uh, he's, he's got almost a point a game uh, since he got to us he's got a lot to learn no question about it also a guy who's playing first year full-time as a center in the National Hockey League, played center in the American League, played center before he got drafted and in college. But, but you know, to play that position in the National Hockey League is the biggest challenge for any forward. And uh, to learn the defensive side, to learn the 200-foot game, he's got ways to go. But I'm also very encouraged with, uh, with how he can create offense, how he can skate through the neutral zone, give us puck possession, see the ice, make plays. And got great individual skills, so you know it's it's amazing. Nobody really talks about his production, which is uh, you know by far the highest of any of the three guys that were involved in that trade. And you know points are not everything. We 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 evaluate players in a lot of different ways, and, and, and definitely not by points only. So he's got a lot to learn, but he's also got a lot of potential. We are talking with Blue Jackets General Manager Yarmo Kekalainen, and our conversation continues right after this on the Inside Edge presented by Honda Marysville here on 97.1 The Fan. Ticket plans for the 2021-2022 season are on sale right now. The options range from full season packages to as few as two games per month. You can pick a plan that's right for you, your family, and your friends. All the plans feature flexible payment options and save you significantly over single-game ticket prices. For more information, just text TICKET to 26791. This is the Inside Edge presented by Honda Marysville. I'm Bob McElligot with Jody Shelley, and we now continue with Blue Jackets General Manager Yarmo Kekalainen. Yarmo, I want to go back to when you were talking about maybe teams will have players available that wouldn't normally be available. There was a lot of talk about that after the Stanley Cup playoffs last season um, going into the start of this season with a flat cap that you might see teams that would have to get rid of guys. And that really didn't uh, materialize as much as all the hype was. I, I mean, Tampa, you know, Tampa put Kucherov on long-term IR. That got them out of salary cap trouble for the most part. You know, things teams did things like that. Do you see that it is going to be more prevalent that that's going to happen after this Stanley Cup playoffs is over? Yes, because salaries keep going up and and it's all about time. You may have a player that had has didn't have arbitration rights last year and you can kind of squeeze him uh, at, at the right number under your cap. But now this year he may have the arbitration rights and his salary is going to get decided 
by that process if you don't agree on a, on a contract and and th those are the, uh, the the tough contracts that everybody has coming up where you know that you either pay him and and, and come to terms with the, with the long-term extension or or mid-term extension whatever the term may be or the arbitration process will decide what what the salary is and that's why we extended Oliver Bjergstrand early, for example, because we knew that with his numbers, if we don't agree on a contract, it's going to go to the arbitration process. And both sides have a pretty good idea where it's going to go when you have a certain amount of points per game and ice time and the role you have on your team. That, that's, that's why it's fairly easy to, to negotiate the contracts with the guys that have arbitration rights because you just know that it's going to be between these two numbers somewhere in there and you either agree or you have to go through that process and we've never gone to arbitration because it's a fairly simple process if, if both sides are seen it at all the same way which you know the statistics don't lie and that's how the arbitration process is, is determined so you know, there's, there's just no way around it I don't like arbitration but it's it's there and uh, you know the intangibles don't come into the picture as much as we'd like but, you know, it, it is part of the CBA. That's something we have to deal with. And, and uh, you know, that's why those contracts keep, keep getting up. And that's why the guys in the entry-level contracts are so important to every team that you have few of those guys playing for you because you know they're playing for, for a low salary for their, for their three years, first three years. And, and um, you know, you can, you can be sure that the free agent market's going to look a little different this year too with, with maybe the top guys still getting some top dollars, but it drops quickly after that, as we saw in the last offseason. Is it fair to say that going into the offseason for you, when you're talking about continuing to build from within, that Seth Jones and Patrick Line are going to be the two most important people that, that are on your team that you have to deal with and figure out uh, how to get them into long-term extensions? Yeah, and we can also extend Zach Wierenski. So, you know, the, those are Alexander Texier. So we got a lot of decisions to make. Our goalies are one year away from UFA. Um, so we, we have to make some big decisions. But those are those are good decisions, good challenges for us. And hopefully they all want to be part of our future and, and this reload that we have to do. And we're back on track competing for Stanley Cup soon. I want to ask you about goalies. Uh, you mentioned, you know, your two are both going to be unrestricted free agents. A lot of talk about, you know, trading one of them and who will it be and all of that stuff. I want to talk to you about Daniil Tarasov, who has come over to North America now and is playing in Cleveland. Uh, there's a lot of hype about him as well, about the potential that he has. Uh, what have you liked and what you've seen from him in the short amount of time that he's been in Cleveland? Well, I haven't seen a lot in Cleveland. He played. He had played one game and played great, and, and that's what we expect. He's our top prospect, and and, and um, he's he had great numbers in the KHL this year. Young goalie, almost six foot six, and uh, just got all kinds of athleticism, and and he's he's like Bobrovsky was. He's twenty four seven hockey, very determined young man that just lives and breathes hockey. He wants to be an NHL player more than anything. And, and a good one. He's not not just trying to get into the league. He wants to be the best. So those are great things going for us. And, um, and you know, we, uh, we're going to go through the uh, development process with him the right way. He's going to need some time to adjust to the North American game. Uh, was number one star in his first start in the, in the American League. So that's a pretty good start. 
but uh, you know, it always it could take a little time, but we're going to be patient. And, and, and like I said, he's, he's our top prospect and, and, uh, and, and we have great depth in that position. We saw Matisse Kiblenics last year in the national hockey league. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's a good prospect for us, really good prospect. We believe he's going to be an NHL goaltender. And that gave us a little bit of luxury to, to make a trade where we could acquire Mikolet and for because of the depth chart we have on goaltending. Yeah, and, and I was going to ask you, what? how does that potential factor into to what you're looking to do? Maybe how does it affect uh, or does it affect uh, who you keep, who you trade, or will that simply be basically, you know, where you can get the most return? Well, it's a little bit of both. Uh, I think if the, ret- <clears throat> if the return on one is significantly more than the other, you have to consider well, how, how do you – how do you evaluate your two goalies into the future playing for us? But, um, you know, we, we have two good goaltenders, so it's, it's, a, it's a good problem to have. They both shown that they can be starters in this league. They, they uh, had great numbers this year, maybe not as good as they'd hoped for, but it's, it's not just the goaltending. It's also how the team in front of them has played so far. So, you know, Elvis had a great rookie season in this league and was, was, uh, has continued on that path and and Corpy in the playoffs last year raised a lot of eyebrows like holy cow he's, he's playing great and then he's a really talented goal goaltender and, and they're both going to keep getting better too that's that's a position where when you mature and you get the experience in that position you uh you learn to uh play a little bit more patient game and, and uh let the game come to you instead of chasing it and and uh, both those guys have tremendous potential to be number ones in this league for many years to come. Guillermo, uh, how did how do you assess this season? Like we we're sitting outside the locker room, we're not traveling with you guys. Um, you know, when you sit back in your GM chair, how did you get to this point where you know this season you saw players underachieve? You couldn't. You t- just talked about the goalies. Is there one or two things that in your mind overall maybe just took away from, from how, what, what you could get out of your guys? Yeah, it's been a challenging year, even just not to get to travel with you guys. That's, that's a bummer. But it's been a challenge for everybody, individually, even management and players and trainers and everybody. It's just... You know the the bonding and the fun that we could sometimes have on the road with guys going for dinner together and hanging out. It's all been taken away. We're we're in in NHL tight NHL quarantine protocol type of lives that we've been living since January third, and and uh, you know it's no excuse. You know, there's a lot of teams that have handled it well and and are on the top of the standings, but I guarantee you a lot of the fun has been taken away from them too. But winning, winning makes it a lot more fun. That's for sure. And when we've had the uh, the disappointing season and, and more losses than we uh, we thought we would, it's it's even more of a struggle. And and uh, you know, we just got to learn from it and rebound from it and move forward and plan plan for the future. But but uh, it's been a challenge. It's it's been a, a very very awkward and weird year that way, where uh, you know everything is just different and. And we hope that we can get back to normalcy soon for, for everybody's sake. And, and I know that there are a lot, a lot of people in the similar situations with their jobs and, and I feel for them. And, and uh, you know, 
And so we're, we're fortunate to still be doing this and have a job and, and, uh, you know, hope that, uh, the world get, gets back to normal and people get their jobs back and normalcy back in their lives. No, I'm not looking to give you an excuse, but that's a real thing. And I think sometimes we forget about that. Um, you got to be careful. There's a fine line in evaluating then, right? Because, you know, there might be people struggling differently in your locker room um, than they would in a regular season where they can cope with things and deal with things by interacting with friends and teammates. Yeah, absolutely. And you've seen a lot fewer smiles this year in the locker room and around the boys for sure. Excuse me, almost sneezed. Um, that it's just, it, it is, it, it is like that. It's, it's just, you, I don't know if you, you guys haven't been able to do it, go into our locker room. It's a mess. You guys can't sit, sit, sit within six feet of each other. So we have these temporary stalls all over the place so that we can scatter them around the, uh, the lounge area and the locker room. And it's, it's just, it's not the same. And that's, that's probably why there aren't as many smiles as there normally are. And, but you battle through it and you do, do the best you can. And we've been talking about it right from the start. No complaining about anything. We'll just battle through it and get through it together and, and do the best we can. But, but it's, it's been different and it's been a challenge. I want to ask you about your culture because you were talking about it on the trade deadline day. Uh, when you got here, the culture needed to change. There was no question. Uh, the culture has been improving. But now there's different people out there and, and it's, it's kind of a it, you're here, which provides great leadership. I, I, I know that for sure. Uh, but now you see new kids coming in, struggling this season, losing ways. How do you keep the culture? I mean, it's something I know you have John Tortorella and you have your way of doing things, but there's a really fine line there. And, and I'm just wondering um, if you just kind of take a step back this year and, and go at it again next year. Or is it something that you're really relying on you and the leadership of the locker room to make sure that it's still very, very high as the way you want things done? Well, I think Torch has always been a great guardian of our culture and he's going to keep doing it. But also, you know, the people that have grown under his leadership and, and, and guarding the culture are becoming better and better leaders. I think that's the best way to guard it is, is by guys keeping each other accountable in the locker room. And, and making sure that that, that, that part's never going to be compromised when you uh, pull, pull on the blue jacket sweater. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to keep a close eye on it. It's never going to be compromised from here. But the best way best way to keep it in, in line is, is by the leadership in the locker room. There's no question about it. And now that Nick's gone, one of the important guys that, that, that has been one of the the most important guardian in the locker room is not there anymore. It's time for the other guys to step up now. And I had a conversation with Seth Jones about it the other day. You know, he's a guy that can take on more of a leadership role now. He's earned it. He, he's done it. He battles every day on the ice and, and shows a great example for our guys, how he plays, how he handles himself and, and the type of leader he is type, type of teammate he is. And, and uh, you know, he's one of those guys that I would I would uh, trust on keeping a close eye on it, so that our our culture, our values, never be compromised. I just ask that because, you know, we're used to seeing that hard forechecking team, that in your face every game, and and it's a standard you guys have set. So, 
I ask that just because there are times this season where we don't see that. And we're just wondering, you know, there's a, we're just wondering what that culture, if that culture, obviously you, you think it's still there. Is it where you want it to be? Well, probably not because of, you know, where we are in the standings, but we, we got to learn, we got to uh, keep guarding it. And I think that with the, uh, you know, we've added some different style of players because we, we felt that we need a little more skill too. But skill's not going to win without will. So that's the, uh, you know, the old cliche. And, and um, you know, the guys that think that they can just get their cookies and, and, and uh, points and, and play with only skill, those type of guys play on losing teams. And, you know, if, if you want to be part of winning culture and, and uh, part of a winning team, you need to play a 200-foot game. You need to battle. You need you need to have that will. You need to compete, and there's no compromises there. And, and, and also the way you handle yourself off the ice. You know, uh, I think our culture of, of of being a strong team and and a hard team to play against starts from the the weight room too. And those are the type of things that we need to make sure that stay in place. And and uh, you know, if you want to be a relentless forechecking competing battling team you, you have to be one of the strongest teams physically in the league that's where it starts from and then it starts from the on the ice with, with wanting to do it and having the character to to get through it and uh, but you know there's not going to be any acceptance here where you could just get by if you get your points and if you get your uh, success in the offensive end that you get shortcuts at the other end there's there's not going to be any of that you know that's a great point there was not a training camp this year, and that's a, a, a vital part of how the Blue Jackets play their brand of hockey. So not an excuse, but that's another very good point that you bring up there. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big part of preparation. There's no real practice time this year either, and, and that makes it hard. You just play every other day, and, and if you're going to start practicing hard in between those two games, you, you're not going to have anything left for the games. But, but again, everybody's had the same circumstances, and some teams have had a – even a hotter schedule than us because of what COVID they, COVID cases they went through. We went through it with our team before the season started in the fall. So we've been fortunate, knock on wood, that, that we haven't, haven't had, uh, I think we've had one case here the whole year. And, and uh, that's, that's a great thing. And hopefully it stays that way. And, and, and uh, we get through this with pride and, and effort through the rest of the way. And, and again, those things will never be compromised. So I'm expecting a lot of professional pride from our guys through every game the rest of the year and, and uh, show us and the coaching staff that why they belong in the NHL and why, why they should have a bigger role uh, in the future for us. And there are going to be some great opportunities for a lot of different guys to show that. So with all that being said, even though you didn't have a training camp at the beginning, it's almost like a training camp right now. It's on the job training for these final three weeks in some ways. And John Tortorella has said publicly that he's going to lean on you as far as, you know, who do you want to see in the lineup at, at given times or what kind of roles do you want to see players in? So you know, do you agree with that? Is it kind of like a on the job training right now to, for, to help you to figure out how you want to slot things this summer? Well, we'll do that together. You know, obviously the, uh, the objective of, of, uh, of every game is to win the, win the hockey game. And I know that's the mindset of the coaches and the players in the room. So 
it's it's not going to be apologizing this is some kind of an exhibition game schedule for the rest of the way that's for sure but we're go, we're going to uh give opportunities that to people that have earned them to to show what they have and and why they should have a bigger role uh, moving into the future. When it comes to the draft, I thought you said something really interesting on trade deadline day and your your media availability afterwards, uh, where there are some people that say that this draft is not a very good draft, and then they'll come right back and say, well, it's an unknown because so many players haven't played. There's been all video scouting. And, and your line was, well, how can you say it's no good if you don't even know what's going on here? How do you look at this draft? Uh, you're the guy that's going to be picking, you and your scouts. How do you look at it? Well, I always say when somebody says uh, says that it's a weak draft or whatever, I say, well, make it good. That's that's our job. Uh, you know, our, our scouts uh, have done a great job for us, so I expect them to do a great job this time as well and, and next year. So if, if people feel it's not a great draft, make it a good one. So you know, we have – lots of picks we have nine picks coming up three in the first round potentially and and it's a great opportunity for our scouts to make a big difference for our club is there any advantage to uh the european leagues who played most of the year and the the players that have been playing there the college players who played a full season this year do they have any advantage over the canadian junior hockey system where you've got the ontario league that hasn't even played and you've got the quebec major junior league and the western hockey league that have played abbreviated schedules yeah the ontario league is going to be challenged there's no question about it we've seen the top guys as underages some of them even went to europe and, and played over there and we've been able to see them but it's going to be a challenge there's going to be the under 18 world junior coming up where you can see the top ontario league guys but then there are going to be some late births uh, of uh, 2002 that that won't be able to uh participate because they're they're too old for the under 18s and and if the Ontario League doesn't play how do you get to see them uh, it's tough and we've done a lot of video scouting with Canada's been a challenge to travel to our, our head amateur scout hasn't been able to travel to Canada because of the obvious reasons of the quarantine and all that but we have the area scouts in place and they've been watching every game and if, if not in, in in person they're watching it on video so um it's going to be a challenging draft, no question about it, but uh, we'll do the best we can. Well, Yarmo, we really appreciate your time and your thorough breakdown of where your organization is, where it needs to go, and and how you plan on getting there. So thank you very much, and uh, uh, best of luck with uh, whatever the next couple of weeks have in store for you, uh, being with the team, being out, trying to see some of those players, whatever it is. Thank you. Thank you. That is Blue Jackets General Manager Yarmo Kekalainen. Stay tuned. We'll wrap up this week's edition of the Inside Edge presented by Honda Marysville next here on 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back to the Inside Edge presented by Honda Marysville. Getting ready to wrap up this week's show. And Jody, uh, Yarmo put everything into great perspective, I thought, from a lot of different angles and what he did, where he is, where he hopes to be in the very near future. As we put a wrap on the changes that he's made here, I want to ask you specifically about Nick Felino because I know that you were close with Nick Felino. I know that you and Nick had a lot of conversations. In fact, I think as Nick developed as a captain that uh, there were, there was some advice along the way that maybe you gave him maybe consciously, maybe not. I don't know. 
but I, I think you were important a part of his growth as a captain to see him leave. What are your personal feelings on that? Well, no, Nick is a great guy. We've become friends. It's, it's been great, but you know, he's a, he's a guy that we're, we're going to miss, but he's left his legacy here. I, I think it's uh you know, we're going to miss seeing him and, and, and uh, the adornment, the way the, the way the fans adore him, the way they should adore him because he's earned that respect from the way he's played the game, uh, how him and his wife and Janelle have immersed himself in the community, uh, his personal struggles with Milana, you know, that were, were very uh, public early in her life and how they got through that and how much they appreciate this area and the Boston area and, and how he just wears it on his sleeve. I think there's a little bit of all of us that uh, uh, wish we, wish we had a, you know, more of Nick Foligno in us. I really do think that, uh, but at saying that, and I don't want to dismiss that because that, that is such a big deal about Nick Foligno. You know, he, he, he did what he had to do and he did it. He did more than he had to do for this organization. So he'll, he, he'll be remembered forever. As long as there's a blue jackets, uh, uh, conversation to be had he'll be remembered in it fondly um, but it's a good time for Nick you know this 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 and the Blue Jackets because this team now is in transition it's time for it to be in transition when Dubois leaves uh, Anderson's not here anymore Savard gets traded uh, the captain moves on we wish he'd stay here forever and I know I get a lot I get a lot of questions is he coming back I'm, I'm pretty positive he'll be back here to live uh, but I think it's time for the organization to, to move to its next phase of leadership. And I th just, you know, I say that with all due respect to Nick and what he's done and you know, his legacy will be here for years with the young players who are going to watch and, and, and cheer on the next eight years. Uh, but the next phase of leadership, people need to grow. And I think there's, uh, there's a lot to be said when leaders move on and, and other leaders are allowed to step in and, and grow. And I see, you know, Seth Jones, Cam Atkinson, Boone Jenner. Who else is next? Who else is those young players that we're going to be talking about? So uh, it's exciting. And I think it's, uh, it's a healthy thing for Nick. Maybe he wins the Stanley Cup, and I hope he does with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, if he wins the Stanley Cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs, forget it. I mean, he's, he's written his ticket for his life. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and he lives in Sudbury in the offseason. I can't even imagine what that would mean to him and his family. But uh, and maybe, you know, maybe he's playing in four years when this team's ready to take another run at the Stanley Cup and he's with that acquisition you make at the deadline. I don't know. But uh, a lot of good stuff there. And, and But I'm really excited, Bob, to see what happens with this organization because there's good people here with leadership skills that understand how to play that maybe now have a little more room to grow. Uh, and, and it's not because they weren't able to when Nick was here, but they can take what they learned and what they know and grow. And, and I think that's where this organization uh, will get stronger. And I think even starting tomorrow night, we're going to see some uh, different people that we haven't seen play. There, as you said, there are going to be opportunities. Um, looks like maybe Josh Dunn, who was just signed out of college and played uh, briefly in Cleveland, might even get a chance to play. He's a big centerman. Uh, I think if you're a big centerman right now on this team, you got to at least get a look. They have to see what you can do, even for a game, don't you? Yeah, but you got to take advantage of it, you know, and, and Stenlin's a guy who did have that opportunity. Hopefully he does again, because I love his game. He's a right-handed shot, big boy. Uh, maybe Dunn comes in. Maybe the answer is already here, Bob. <laughs> the only way you find out is by playing him, like you said. Exactly. Yeah, and Kevin Stenlin, he, that, we were talking about Texier in the first segment. Kevin's another enigma, if you will, because there are some days he looks great, and then you just want him, and, and I think you're like me, I just want him to grab it and stay there, right? Don't, don't let him take you out of the lineup. Yeah, 
but again, you know, you don't know the factors. And we talked to Yarmo about that. And that's not excuses. It's the real thing. So take the positives. Hope he learns from the negatives and, and, and realize that he's got some skin on him, as Torts would put it. And, and that's an important thing to have. And, and if he's a full-time NHL player uh, and he's, he's a guy that embraces a role, there's a valuable role for him here. Maybe it's the bottom six, but who cares? Do it, take it, run with it. Uh, and, and our organization would be better to have him in a third or fourth line center ice position because they need that guy. More importantly, that understands how it works here. All right. Last thing I have in this quick uh, final few minutes or seconds, actually, that we have Patrick Line. We banged on this guy a lot in the last couple of weeks. He now has three goals in two games. Have you liked his last two games? I have. I mean, that's exactly what we've been waiting to see out of Patrick Line, speed, skill, determination on a goal. You know, he's a guy that hopefully is streaky and gets it going. Uh, hopefully what we've seen the past two months has been just a learning experience and adjustment. Let's see this guy settle in and be the star of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, it's only fair. If we're going to get on him when he's bad, we got to talk about him when he's good, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're happy for him. And, yes. And we, you know, that's we have to, we have to, you know, call what we see and, and hope – Again, the standard's high here, Bob. Uh, you got it. You got to earn it. And I think he's been pushing himself harder than we have when we than we've been pushing him. You know, you said that a lot of times during the show. I think you're absolutely right, and I think that should be a theme uh, going through these three weeks, going through the off season, whatever changes this organization goes through. That should really be the the mantra. The standard is high now with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I like that, and and we will see how they. Uh, well, you should like it. You came up with it. You kept saying it. So. Put that on a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and a hat. And a sweatshirt. And a whatever. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right, Jody, thank you very much. Appreciate it. My Blue pleasure. Jackets and the Dallas Stars tomorrow night, 8.30 face-off in Dallas. Pre-game coverage starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night right here on 97.1 The Fan and the Blue Jackets Radio Network. Jody will be on Valley Sports Ohio with the game tomorrow night as well. That's going to do it for the Inside Edge presented by Honda Marysville. For Jody Shelley, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long and thanks for listening to 97.1 The Fan.